Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. So good to be with you today, and thanks, guys, that we get to worship together. Uh, we really do worship together in this space, uh, both our tech team and our worship team, myself and others who help us um, just gather together like this online. We, we count it a privilege that we can actually be together uh, as a team. And um, I just want to share a brief uh, announcement uh, just for, um, for our purposes, uh, j- just before I jump into today's talk. Uh, just give me a second and uh, to share some news with you guys. Uh, as many of you know, we as a church community, many churches in the city, uh, particularly in our province in Quebec, no other province in Canada is, uh, is working through this detail. Uh, but here in Quebec, uh, the government has uh, mandated um, a vaccine passport uh, for churches being public places. And uh, our leadership team has been discerning, discussing, praying, reading through Scripture, Um, And we have also met with our ministry team leaders just recently this Thursday evening to talk through that, to share with them our discernment. And I want to just let you know kind of where where we are in this. And even as I share this, I want you guys to know that that, um, possibly other churches might discern slightly uh, similar, different than us, maybe in in a different direction. And we understand and just present this humbly because this is not like the doctrine of the Trinity uh, or the Lordship of Jesus. It's not the creedal and confessional in this way, but it is a moment for us to discern as a church how we respond and, and how we, um, we lean in uh, to this cultural moment. And so our, we've felt a tension with this passport, like many churches have, and um, we have been discerning on if what we do as a church, the descriptions we read in the New Testament like singing or praying with one another or taking communion and things like that, what we do, if, if this passport rubs against that, and we realize that over the last 18 months we have you know, innovated and creatively changed things to be able to keep doing the things we do just in different formats. And so as a biblical lens, we realize that This doesn't really stop what we do um, because we can do things in different ways. But as we discern through it, we recognize that it's not what we do. It's actually more about who we are or what we are as a church community. Uh, We're a reconciling community. We're a community of oneness, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father. We're a community of God's kingdom. Uh, We're a community of unity that comes together at the foot of the cross. And so, in that regard, we felt like there's a tension here between uh, this request and who we are as a church. And so we've discerned what we're, we're, we're kind of calling um, a slight, a gentle resistance. And uh, you'll see how gentle it is, at least for the moment. And this first phase is that we feel that um, not to cause division uh, among us or cause further division in our culture, for the remainder of February, we're going to stay online um, to not use the passport, to resist the use of the passport in a gentle way. And in a way, what we're doing is we're laying down, uh, I guess, our rights for the sake of unity. Our, our whole leadership team is vaccinated, and the ministry team leaders we actually met with on Thursday are all vaccinated. But we feel like in this moment, just to lay down our rights for this, 
for the sake of unity. And, and another reason we're doing this in February is because there's some denominations, uh, both ours and others. There's a collection of 18 denominations in Quebec that represent and talk to the government. There's an interreligious table that's also speaking to the government. Uh, the Catholic Church is doing this too. They're, they are working towards trying to see this rescinded or um, changed. And so we want to give them time. Uh, it takes time to do this, and these conversations don't happen overnight. And so we feel that by doing this in February, we're also giving these bodies that are talking right now to the government some time, and we want to be prayerful for them. Um, and this specifically uh, speaks about our Sunday event. And then what we want to do, because we don't have time this morning, I don't have time this morning to, sh to get into this fully, is we want to have a, a, a Zoom meeting um, with the core people of our church. So if you are, you know, contributing, serving, giving, um, connected, uh, invested in us, participating with us, we're going to call a Zoom meeting very shortly. We'll, we'll uh, you know, email it to those of you who are on our email list and let you guys know about it so we can share a little bit more openly and explain the biblical hermeneutic behind this, uh, what we're not using from Scripture, what we are using from Scripture, and, and then we can kind of have this dialogue together, which I think will be really healthy, something I've so appreciated in this process I'm not, I'm not happy about the mandate, but what I've really appreciated is that our leadership team has dug into this in a discerning, prayerful, uh, united way. And our ministry team leaders also recognize that, and we had a chance to talk this Thursday. And, you know, it, these moments really, really shape us. And, um, and I believe that, that God's going to work in the middle of this. Now, this is something that I want to let you know. What we're deciding here is not an endorsement of, a, of an anti-vax or an anti, a full anti-mandate movement. It's not a rejection of vaccines. Like I said, currently our leadership team, all of us are vaccinated. It's not an anti-government posture. In fact, the default of scripture would lead us to work with the governing bodies because God has instituted them for our safety. But then there's times we see historically and in the scriptures where we discern sometimes a contrast uh, to that. And so we're discerning this tension with the passport. And while we can be innovative in doing church things through restrictions, this one rubs slightly different. And, and right now, uh, we want to lean into how the Holy Spirit's convicting us. Now, in saying that, I want us to understand that at the same time, we're pursuing unity with churches. I met with six local West Island pastors uh, this week. Um, we had an, an incredible 90 minutes together. Uh, there's, some, there's some common ground. There's some slight differences. But I'm going to ask you to do the same. Um, just like I sat with six pastors, you probably have friends in other churches. I want to ask you to bless other churches and bless friends who choose differently than we are. Again, this is not like the doctrine of the Trinity from, you know, that we affirmed in the fourth century and into the creeds. Uh, so I want you to bless churches and bless friends that might choose differently. Uh, I want you to stay the course with us while we discern this conviction as well, okay? So for now, stay tuned for this Zoom meeting that we're going to uh, announce very shortly. And let me just take a moment and pray before we jump into this morning's talk and moment of Scripture. Our Heavenly Father, these are unique times, and um, we don't take them lightly. And so we, we, we want to lean in, Lord, to a healthy biblical lens. Give us discernment um, to refrain from using parts of Scripture that don't apply to this. And give us discernment to use some of the core values of Scripture that would apply to this. 
give us uh, humility and patience because ultimately, God, you are God, we are not. Uh, you are all truth, and we are in the position of discerning that truth. We long to remain united as a church community, and we long to remain collaborative with other churches in our city, even if they might discern slightly differently, God. And I pray, God, that you would uh, help us, especially those that are, are struggling in this, in this moment, help us to be present to one another beyond the screen. There are ways we can do that as, as immediate as this afternoon. Help us to be the church to one another. And give us discernment for the next few weeks and month. Um, and we also pray, Lord, for the governing bodies that are working with the government. We pray for our government, for wisdom. We pray for balance. We pray for wisdom here. We pray also for this passport to be um, removed within the safety of our, of our society, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to encourage you to be present with each other. Uh, like I prayed, as immediate as this afternoon, you can be present with someone else from our church through a phone call, a text, through uh, even in person, even within the restrictions. So I really encourage you to, to, to lean into these opportunities um, so we can uh, be a body uh, beyond Sundays. I'm going to just grab my Bible, and don't worry if I fall off the camera for a second. But uh, if you got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3, and I'll jump into this morning's talk. Um, we have been in an interesting kind of theme lately on reconnection, and um, I, I just, this was like so real, the, the longing for reconnection was so real this last week uh, as um, the restrictions opened up to have two bubbles in a home. Uh, we had planned to meet with, with um, uh, our family um, in two bubbles, and uh, it was six or eight weeks since my wife saw her mom, and my kids saw their grandmother and my mother-in-law. And so it was all set. We had like, we were going to order pizza and have some drinks and, and have people, another family other than us, in our home and in our living room. And it all went south when um, one of us realized that we were in contact with someone with COVID just three or four days earlier. And because my mother-in-law is 91, everyone played it safe and we played it cautious. And everyone like was disappointed, especially... Uh, the cousins. And we, we recognize in that moment the pent-up desire to reconnect because of a growing sense of disconnect. We felt that pent-up desire to reconnect. And why that's there is because there's been a growing sense of disconnect. And we've all been feeling this relationally, like I just mentioned, but also communally in the church and spiritually. And, and I think, I believe that's why uh, our leadership team and ministry team leaders discerned at the end of last year that reconnection uh, would be or should be a theme, a key focus for us in 2022, reconnecting to Christ, reconnecting to each other, reconnecting to the world around us. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks out of John 15, out of John 4. And today I want to bring this together in, in somewhat of a vision message rebuilding on what I'm calling the undercurrent of connections, the undercurrent of connections that are necessary for our faith, for our life, for our health. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to read a, a really short text out of the life of Jesus. And um, 
it's a moment where Jesus has just spent time with an enormous crowd that were kind of crushing around him, and he then steps away to get to the mountains alone with his disciples. And here's, here's the verse, verse, three, verse 13 of chapter 3. Jesus says these words, or Mark tells us what happens, that he, Jesus, went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. Really few verses here in the middle of Mark. And if you can imagine, this is kind of like a discipleship huddle, a huddle with his disciples where Jesus calls a select few people to join him on the mountain, to huddle together before he sends them out or gives them a purpose in their, their sense of being sent out into the world. The mountain is a really interesting spot. It's often a place in Scripture where a revolution starts to, to, to spread what God is doing. We've seen it in the life of Moses or Elijah or other times where, 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 where something happens um, on a mountain that kind of starts something that God wants to start. And in this moment, it's like starting a, a revolution of God's kingdom beyond the physical reach of Jesus because Jesus will not be there forever physically in front of them. And Jesus can't be present with everyone in the physical moment. And he's also preparing his disciples to, 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 to lean into the life that he's calling them to into the mission that he calls them to. And it's the perfect spot to cast vision, the perfect spot to plan, the perfect spot to form the team now, modern revolutions are light, uh, slightly different. When we hear of the word revolution, we often think of modern revolutions where people have come and they've, they've, they've brought people together to seek power and status and momentum and national favor and political support. In fact, if someone would, if you'd you know, go to a master class on starting a revolution, they'd probably like become an influencer on Instagram, get a lot, a lot of followers, raise some money, make sure you have you know, some political leaders, uh, make sure you know the right people, and all that kind of stuff, because revolutions need credibility and people and influence. Christians in North America, particularly in the States, leaned into this, unfortunately, in the 80s they started something called the moral majority, which also led to Reagan getting into power. They believed that if they could help elect the right politician, America would look more Christian. And I, I appreciate America. I love visiting. But it hasn't become more Christian in my lifetime in the last 30 years. And, uh, and we can be deceived in this, both as humans and as Christ followers, deceived that strength or success of the church depends on favor from society. And we just got to look across the world in a country like Iran where the church is exploding under the radar to realize that God doesn't need political favor to expand his kingdom. Jesus' idea of revolution is much more counterintuitive, is much different than the kingdoms or empires or visions of this world would lead us to start a revolution. Jesus often went to the mountain to pray, and here's this moment 
on the mountain, this perfect place of formation, this perfect place that will lead to transformation and mission. Jesus often went to the mountain to pray, to get away from the crowds. And the mountain, like I said, was a scene in the scriptures that was familiar. Moses, Elijah, and others. Jesus would often go to the mountain to get away from the crowds. And if we would read verse 7 to 12 in Mark 3, we would see that the crowds are growing and growing and growing because of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he's getting popular. He's healing people. He's teaching with authority. And the crowds are crushing around him. And literally, in the passage before, before this, Jesus says, like, get a getaway car to his disciples. It, it was actually a getaway boat. Like, get the boat ready. we got to leave this place and let's get away from the noise and the crowds. And this is an important lesson for all of us because it tells us that the strength of Jesus's mission is not in crowd formation, but it's in heart formation. Catch that. That's so important. The strength of Jesus's mission is not in crowd formation. It's in heart formation. And part of what I believe you and I need this year, and and I say myself included, I desperately need this in the following months and year. What we need to continue following Jesus as a church, but equally for the health of our own lives as human beings, is found in the connections Jesus builds into during this mountain moment, during this mountain meeting. It's a a clue, it's a glimpse to the formational work, the deep work, the deep connections and relationships that are necessary. I'm calling them for today's talk the undercurrent of transformation, the undercurrent of restoration, the undercurrent that's necessary for health and purpose, the stuff that happens below the surface, shaping our minds and our hearts and our relationships, the undercurrent of our connections. You know, a generation of people, whether they uh, read up on science books or marine biology, discovered the sea through movies like Finding Nemo and Shark Tale. Uh, If you watched Finding Nemo, every kid or adult discovered the beauty of the sea. Finding Nemo reminded us that sea turtles and schools of fish and coral reefs exist, even though it was animated. And Shark Tale, on a different note, just showed us that the mafia exists underwater. And if you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, there was like houses and restaurants and pizza joints uh, underwater in Shark Tale. Obviously, The mafia doesn't exist underwater. But maybe there is a marine mafia. Who knows? There's an investor, very wealthy investor, one of the most wealthiest in the world. His name is Ray Dalio, and he has an investment company. He's coming close to the age of retirement. And uh, I heard a talk from his, and he said that his next project, his kind of retirement project, is to focus on what's below sea level. He's come to realize as he's, as he's studied history, as he's studying what's going on in our world today, as he's looking even at climate change, he realizes that what's going on below the sea is almost more important than what's going on above the sea, that the many problems that's happening above the sea are actually rooted below the water. That's an amazing metaphor for life. It's an amazing metaphor for the issues we run into in our own lives, relationally, socially, emotionally, financially. Often, the issues that we're dealing with above the surface are rooted in some of the issues that are going on below the surface. And it's incredible to know that 
what's going on below the sea has an incredible impact in the atmosphere above the sea. And here, here's why I say this, this idea, because I believe that we must rebuild the undercurrent, the below sea level connections necessary for the life God envisions for you and me. And that if we want any sense of health and purpose and movement and transformation and uh, both in a human sense and in a, in a sense of following Jesus and part of God's mission, we must tie into these connections that Jesus leads us to on this mountain moment. And here, here's the three that we can highlight from this moment on the mountain. And the first one, this first undercurrent connection is, is contemplation. Jesus calls his disciples to be with him. Now, Jesus often would go to the mountain and be present with God, be present with his heavenly Father. He's calling the disciples to be with him. These are significant words out of the mouth of Jesus. He wants them to be with him. He desires them to be present with him. He desires us to be present with him, and he wants us to be present with him at that moment. He wants to be with us, and he wants us to be with him. This is the place where Jesus got a way to be with God, and he's calling his disciples into this place, into this environment, into this space that he has practiced being with God's presence. So contemplation happened for Jesus on the mountain where Jesus intentionally got away. And now he's calling his disciples to intentionally get away from the noise, get away from the distraction, into the silent solitude of the mountain, because it's a place of formation. It's a place where even though God's presence is radically available to us all the times, somehow when we get away from the distractions and get into a space like Jesus did on the mountain, we become more attuned because the distractions are further from us. Uh, an author I've come to really appreciate the last two years, his name is Robert Mulholland. He writes this about contemplation. He, he calls it the practice of stilling ourselves before God, moving ever deeper into the core of our being and simply offering ourselves to God in total vulnerable love. Contemplation is a, is, a, is a place, a space we get into, a moment in the spiritual practices where we can be present with God and, and receive his love. And of course, in contemplation, we can read scripture and pray and worship. They all flourish out of contemplation because contemplation is relationship. Contemplation is being with Christ. And then the overflow of a life of faith is immersed in that relationship. That's why contemplation is so essential. That's why contemplation needs to be intentional, especially in our world, where we're so distracted with so many things, where we're so busy with so many things, where there's so many things going on in our lives. It can't just be spontaneous. We need to make room for it. An author, Carlo Caretto, he says this, that as long as we pray only when and how we want to pray, our life of prayer is bound to be unreal. I think what he's getting at is that if we just kind of approach prayer and our relation with God is like always spontaneous, you know, whenever it happens, which is cool. Like I think we throughout the day we should be, you know, tuning into the Lord, being present, have a short whisper prayer, pause for three, five seconds. Like these are important. But if, if our life of prayer is only when and how we want it, 
our prayer is, life to be, is likely to be unreal, he says, because there's something powerful about submitting ourselves to the practices of prayer, about joining a prayer time with other believers, about surrendering ourselves to the liturgy of prayers like we read this morning or sang or in Scripture, praying the Scriptures. Something changes when we do that. And here's the thing. As intentional as Jesus was in going up the mountain and calling disciples to be with him, we must be intentional in response about the practice of sitting with Jesus. And so you've noticed maybe in the last couple of months where uh, I or someone else has just called us to slow down in a gathering, even to be aware of our breathing, to maybe share, you know, recite a short prayer to be really present with the Lord. One of the reasons we're starting to do some of these things is we don't want Sunday just to be an experience. We also want it to be equipping where what we do, you can do. One of the prayers we read off the screen like we did today is, is a way to equip each other because sometimes we're just like stuck with whatever comes out of our mouth from, the, from spontaneously from our minds when we pray. But when we're given some language, when we're given some direction, we can take that. You can take that. You can take a picture off the screen. You can go back and write the prayer down. You can put it in your journal. You can then be formed and equipped in prayer. What we want to do this year in more and more ways is encourage and equip each other in this area, even if it means modeling it on Sunday. So you're not just listening to me or singing a song, but that you can take some of these practices, and we're going to try and be more innovative in how we do it, more intentional in how we do it, because this is an undercurrent of connection that we desperately need. Contemplation. The second one is community. Notice that Jesus, you know, Mark tells us he appointed 12, the apostles, to be with him. In other words, this wasn't a one-on-one -on -one coaching time. This was they are together with Jesus. They're not one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. They're also together with Jesus. So as much as they're present with Christ, they're present with each other. That number 12 is significant because Jesus was trying to tie them into the whole story of God, into God's redemptive purposes that started with Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the vocation of Israel to be light to the nations where God was forming this people to be a light to the world, to bless the world. Jesus is continuing that story, continuing that purpose with the 12, and he's forming a community of disciples. Not commandos, not individual agents in the world, a community of his kingdom reflected initially at the start with his apostles. And remember, this is not a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. This is a cohort. This is a team. This is a family. This is a community. So they weren't just with Jesus. They were with each other. And this is the second undercurrent that we so desperately need in the depths of, of, of how we are formed as a church. The undercurrent we must pay attention to or we must rebuild where necessary is spiritual community is the church family, the church community the church as body. And something our leaders have affirmed in reflection over the pandemic, and I, I describe it this way, we never want to enter another pandemic again without, well, first, we never want to enter another pandemic again. Let's just kind of state that. That's kind of real, right? But if or should another pandemic happen, we, never, we don't want to enter another pandemic without a better system of connection and care. 
And while we mitigated and did stuff online and ran EHS and Alpha Marriage and summer discussion groups and we did Zoom and this and we did little curbside things and outside things, we recognize that we don't want to enter another season like this should it come in the future without a better, stronger, more connected system of care, compassion, and community. And so we must, in this next year, seek ways and environments to build this, organized and organic, strategic and social, formational and relational, any way we can, likely in the form of, of groups, likely in other kinds of forms, praying and playing, all kinds of forms, because it's so essential. Now, I came across this article this last week or two called The Lonely Crowd, and the subtitle is really jarring. The subtitle is, Churches Are Dying, due to friendlessness. Did you catch that? Churches are dying due to friendlessness. Now, I know titles can be catchphrases sometimes to catch you into reading the article, but talked about the church being a lonely crowd, and it highlights problems in many churches, not just one or two, many churches. It's rampant where people struggle to find long-term relationships, and often people will skip around from church to church and this and that, or maybe be part of a church and not go deep in relationship, and, and it, it's, it's, it's a problem. And this pandemic has made it worse. But here's, here's something that will not get us off the hook because it's part of our responsibility to build relationships with one another and lean in. But let me tell you something. It's not only your fault. It's not only my fault. We swim in a culture that has this problem. It's not only in the church. We swim and live in a culture that has this problem. I read some stats. In 1985, the common number of people that, that the average person discussed important matters of life with was three people. There was three or four people in, the, in their life back in 1985, on average, when they surveyed people, that, that the average person had in their life to discuss important matters. In 2004, it dropped to zero. That the average person, a lot of people, had zero, zero people that they discussed important matters of life with. And as they put some of the, the, the stats together, it kind of looks like this, where one in four people walk around with no one to share important parts of their life with. One in four people walk around with no one to share important parts of their life with. And this is the culture we swim in. And we have allowed this to also influence, I don't just mean we West Side, but yeah, let's take ownership, but the, the church at large. So the next step might be doing for one what you want to do for everyone. But you can't, but do for one what you want to do for everyone. It's, it's joining in for prayer times and prayer groups or that next Bible study or a men's or women's event. It's part of that. But it's making room for, for social activity and things along those lines. It's, it's, it's keeping Sunday special. It's, it's a whole bunch of these things. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's aiming and working towards deeper relationships. And one of the things the article shares that we, we all lack or we all struggle with, both in culture and in the church, is the ability to be vulnerable with each other. Here's what Mike Frost says. He says, allowing yourself to be vulnerable helps the other person to trust you precisely because you are putting yourself at emotional and psychological or physical risk. Other people tend to react by being more open and more vulnerable themselves. So the fact that both of you are letting your guard down helps to lay the groundwork for a faster, closer, personal connection. That's a 
big kind of paragraph to digest, but let me give you an illustration. We've all seen the FBI shows or the negotiation shows or the movies where someone comes in, like the FBI agent comes in with a gun, and they're ready, and then the person's on the other side, and they have a gun, and, they're, and the person on the other side is really maybe not so bad, like, like they're thinking in their head what, what they're going to do, and so often, what does the agent do? I've, we've seen this tons of times, right? The agent says, oh, they take their gun, they take it out of their holster, they take it off their hand, and they, they put it in the air, and they're like, okay, I'm going to put the gun down. Just, we're going to put the gun down, and they get to the floor, they get to the floor, and they put the gun down, and then the other person that's facing them all of a sudden realizes this person has made themselves vulnerable. And because they've made themselves vulnerable, now the other person has an opportunity to make themselves vulnerable. And the other person, if things go well, <laughs> will slowly drop the gun, or give it to the agent, or have a conversation. That is the illustration of vulnerability. Where we have something, and we lay it down, we, we become vulnerable in that moment. And that opens up space, even in a, in a difficult situation, for that other person to become vulnerable. Now imagine that in relationships where people just slowly become vulnerable. They, they allow themselves to become vulnerable through their stories, through the messiness of their lives, through allowing others to see through a little bit, not holding back, being transparent. Regardless of where or how you participate in the church, regardless if it's the next Bible study you join or the prayer group or a conversation in the lobby when we have the opportunity again or when you talk with someone over the phone or take, take a walk with them, regardless of how or where you participate in the church, this is so key. Vulnerability is so key. And it's something we need to learn more of this coming year so we can open up space for community, for deeper relationships we're going to be the family of God together. And then the last one is this, and I'll be brief. It's compassion. Not just compassion in a sense like I'm going to help this person, but compassion for the state of the world, compassion for the needs of the world, compassion knowing that every person we lock eyes with matters to God, and God longs for them to know him, and longs for them to be whole, and longs for them to get a glimpse of his kingdom. So Jesus, what, is, what does he do with his disciples? He sends them out. He sends them out to be in proximity with the world, to be in proximity with the needs around them, to be in proximity with people who need to hear that the God of the universe, and some were Jews at the time, that the God of the Jews loves them and, and hears where he's headed, or, or for Gentiles and others, non-Jews, to hear that, that God loves them, God cares for them, God has a plan for them, sent out in proximity to the needs of the world, where the world can get a glimpse of God's kingdom, what reconciliation looks like, what, what vulnerability looks like, what care looks like, what, what it means to, to, to be present with each other and welcome each other at the table, to be sent out. But also, Jesus specifically says to be sent out to proclaim the message of the gospel, the message of God's kingdom, which includes everything I've just said. Jesus assumes the mission statement to free the prisoners, give sight to the blind, bring freedom to the oppressed, love the poor, serve the poor, to proclaim, to cast out demons. Yeah, that sounds pretty big and extravagant, but when someone is oppressed by demonic presence, what they need is compassion 
And that compassion leads someone to go and be present with them and bring the kingdom of God with them so God's presence can heal them and restore them and free them. So compassion is, the, is, is, is what leads us to proclaim and bring healing and free and care people. And the undercurrent of connection in this is to be present with the needs of the world around them. You might say, why compassion, Dave? Why not use another word? Well, wasn't it out of love that God sent his only son, John 3, 16? Wasn't it Jesus who wept over Jerusalem when he saw the struggle that they were in, when, they, when he saw how much of a detour they were on? Didn't he weep over Jerusalem? Mission flows out of compassion. If we proclaim and heal out of a triumphant agenda, we won't be bringing the full nature of God's kingdom. We must lead out of and live out of compassion. And that's personal and corporate. That's personal in our own lives. That's together as a church community. One of the things I long to, to see us recover in 2022, we've had this in the past, is, is discover a community cause we can partner with in our neighborhood, in our city, that we can come alongside, that we can join and bring compassion, bring the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom, bring freedom and sight and, and, and joy and peace and ultimately the message of God's kingdom. I'm going to invite Steve to come up as we slowly lead to communion. Think of these three undercurrents. Contemplation, community, and compassion. Notice the trajectory of this. This is really important as we wrap this up. Notice the trajectory of Jesus' revolution building, of Jesus' formation with his disciples. Notice the trajectory of this. Jesus goes to the mountain, the place of contemplation, where the deep work of formation and transformation and relationship happens. Jesus calls them to be with him and by default calls them to be with each other, which is the undercurrent of community. And then the overflow of that, then he sends them out. He leads them out to be in proximity with the needs of the world, to be people of compassion, communicating God's kingdom. That trajectory is so important, everyone, because I am tempted at times to lead with compassion, or I am tempted at times to, like, you know, try and reach a goal, or I'm tempted at times to, like, what can we do in the neighborhood? What can we do in the city? The trajectory is so vital because we want to live out of depth and not shallowness, out of strength and not fatigue or weakness. In, 1867, a woman by the name of Amy Carmichael was born. This woman, through the course of her life and coming to know Christ, she became a missionary to Japan, to Sri Lanka, and eventually India, and she did all this before air travel ever existed. Here, here, here's what she says. And this came up in a, in a devotional reading a couple of weeks ago, the Lectro 365 app that we often encourage here at Westside. And every once in a while, they, they, call, it, they call them feast days. And, they, and they, they highlight a hero of the faith that um, their life and their experiences and their surrender to the Lord can teach, them, teach us something. And they highlighted Amy Carmichael a few weeks back. And he, here's something she said. She said, if you refuse to be hurried and pressed, if, if you stay your soul on God, nothing can keep you from that clearness of spirit, which is life and peace. In that stillness, 
contemplation, in that stillness, you will know what his will is. And then as, as the devotional described your life, there was this one line that I had to write down in my journal and I actually shared it with our staff and it's been in my mind ever since. I've been praying it and thinking about it. And it says that Amy Carmichael understood that in order to have a wide impact, she needed to cultivate a deep spirituality. That it was the inner, deeper work that was necessary to allow and make room for and then lead us out and then trust the Lord with the wider impact. If we want a wide impact, a wider impact, we must cultivate a deep spirituality. That's why the trajectory of, of this, this moment in Jesus' life is so important. Contemplation, community, compassion. This has been on my mind ever since I read this. And I so believe this year, and I'm not giving us all right now today, we don't have the time to go you know, talk about what that might look like and how we'll get to that. But we must rebuild these undercurrent connections with Jesus, with each other, with the world around us. We must become deep people with deeper spiritual relationships that are in proximity with the world. We're gathered in scattered groups. We go deep so we can go wide into meaningful purpose and impacting lives. And so if this excites you, it excites me, I hope it excites you, if it excites you or challenges you, or maybe you're gifted or called to help us nurture this in some way, shape, or form, please let us know. We want to start kind of building and leading. And, and I know we're in the middle of this weird season right now, transition that we're, we're, we're walking through, but I believe that this coming year we can lean in and build and nurture these undercurrent connections of contemplation and community and compassion. We want to build these environments. Send us a note, even right now, even today, this week. Begin praying for this and begin thinking about next steps and listen for some next steps. And already this month, we're seeing some people uh, follow up from the sanctuary course and that. And we're, we're seeing, you know, 15 people join the cohort, cohort to really understand the gospel and dig in. And our prayer group is meeting and other prayer groups. And, but it's more than that. We want to go deeper than that. We want to we really lean into something with depth. And, and as we close in prayer today, I want to do communion together. We're just going to take a couple more minutes to this. And if you got your wine and bread with you, I hope you remembered. I got mine right here. And it's, um, I love the fact that communion landed on today. We do it the th first of the month all the time. And the beauty about this Think about this for a second. Jesus takes bread with his disciples the night before he's betrayed. The night he's betrayed and then the night before he is brought to the cross. He takes bread. He breaks it. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He pours wine the wine of the new covenant. This is my blood that will be poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. One day we will all feast in eternity together. But right now, until that time, break bread and pour wine. And every time we do this, and as we're doing it today, this is really important. Think about this. Think about this. 
Jesus is present with us in the breaking of bread and wine. Jesus called his disciples to be with him so he could be present to them and we could be present to him. So think about that. As we're breaking bread right now, as we're pouring this wine, in this moment we recognize, Jesus said, as you celebrate this meal, as you eat this meal together, as you break bread and pour wine, recognize I am present with you. I've called you to be with me. And you're present with me. This is our reality. This is our true reality, the radical available presence of God. And we're breaking bread together. We are together, a community called the body of Christ. Jesus' body was broken for us, but we're also the body of Christ. When we break this bread, we recognize that we're part of his body. We're not only present to him, we're present to each other. And this beautiful theme that comes out of the Eucharist, that comes out of, commun out of communion, is Jesus' body broken was broken for the world. Jesus' blood shed was shed for the sake of the world. You and I maybe are participants of that beauty right now, but it's still broken and poured for the world. There's a world outside beyond us that Jesus' body was broken for, that Jesus' blood was poured for, and that Jesus calls us to be in proximity with so we can be compassionate to the world like he was. So let's take a moment and eat this bread together. The broken body of Christ. Remembering we are the body of Christ. And that God calls us to be broken, available for the sake of the world as Christ sends us out. Let's eat this together. Take this wine, a symbol of Jesus' sacrificial death, but also life-giving death, reminding us of our own redemption and the redemption he still longs for the world. He called 12 to continue the story started with Israel to be light and blessing for the world. That's the story we live out. We're called into. Let's drink this together. Our Heavenly Father, may we recognize that even in the middle of the busyness and distractions of our world, you are present. You call us out whether it's, it's, it's in a, it's a one-minute moment in the middle of our day, whether it's carving out 30 minutes at the beginning of our day, whether it's moments like this where we're gathered community and worship and learning and prayer, whether it's in a prayer group or a Bible study, oh God, Lord, as we're developing practices of silence and solitude that we so desperately need in a world that is rushing and rushing and rushing and noisy and noisy and noisy, thank you for your call to us to the contemplative life so we can experience your, your love in total vulnerability. Lord, lead us. Give us practices and opportunity, but ultimately desire, Lord, to grow in this way in this year. I know my life is desperate for it, and our church is desperate for it. 
know the world is desperate for it, even if they sometimes don't know it. God, thank you that you call us together as a church. We're not just an individual disciple following Jesus. We are a cohort, a community, a family, your kingdom, a kingdom of priests together following Jesus. And so while we are present with you, we are also present to one another. May we never take that for granted and may we never belittle it and may we never see it less than for what it truly is. We are the body of Christ. God, give us courage to be vulnerable with each other, to disarm ourselves, to make space for deeper relationship so your spirit can work not only in us individually but in us together and through us. And God, as you send us out into the world, may we never shy away from proximity to the needs of our world. Lord, this coming year, even in the middle of this pandemic still going on, will you call us, call us clearly, Lord, to areas that are in proximity to us where we can be present to and present with. We are your sent people to proclaim and heal and yes, even exercise the demonic because the world beyond us and around us and that we take part in is longing for redemption and restoration. And we just humbly are grateful to participate in your work. Lord, build these undercurrents. Give us wisdom and strategy and resources and gifts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.